So we've, we've been talking about living a supernatural lifestyle. I'm gonna, I'm gonna change, uh, I'm gonna change things a little bit, and I wanna talk, it's still gonna be along that same vein, that same line, but I wanna talk for, I don't know, however long the Lord has us on this. I've learned not to make those kind of commitments. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I wanna talk to you about the technology of the Spirit. That's, that's what I'm gonna, uh, kinda entitle the, 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 where we're going this morning. The technology of the Spirit. And, uh, and so it's really important for me that you understand, that I understand, that for the most part, the church in America is fixated since the Protestant Reformation on issues of salvation. Because you realize, for Martin Luther and the people who started the Protestant Reformation, the issue was, how did you get into heaven? And so the the Reformation was founded upon a reading of Romans, especially the first three chapters, and the term of justification by faith. And so for them, justification became a salvation issue, and faith gets reduced down to how you get saved. And that has controlled the conversation in especially evangelical circles, and Protestant circles ever since. And so what I want you to do in this series is I want to invite you to step outside of that frame and come with me into a different frame, and that is a frame of spirituality. Because if you study Christianity before the Protestant Reformation, it was a spiritual religion. And the focus and the emphasis was on spirituality in the arenas that were maintained pure by the Spirit of God. So please understand that just because the state churches, like the Roman Catholic Church and what have you, were prominent in Europe during the time of the Reformation, please understand that that was not the only expression of the church or the only expression of Christianity. And it was a, a really a, a, a stepping away from the corruption of the state organized and the state run churches that caused the Reformation to begin, to begin with because they were using issues of salvation in heaven and hell to enforce governmental power rather than to bring redemption. Are you following me? But that was not the only expression of Christianity. The true expressions of Christianity down through the ages have always been expressions of spirituality. Yes, Aaron. <laughs> right? So, so what we want to do is look at spirituality. I realized during worship, October of this year, it'll be 27 years since I started reading the Bible, probably almost in some sense every day, for the last 27 years, studying it really professionally, if I can use that term, for a, a, a really long time. And so the things I'm going to share with you are things that I've become fully persuaded of from reading the Bible, not from any other source, all right? But I'm going to invite you to step out of your Protestant evangelical frame of salvation and faith for salvation and step into a frame of Christian authentic purely authentic Christian spirituality. Because what I want to suggest to you is that the Bible is more about spirituality than it is about salvation. Because once you get saved, you got it. Unless you're not one of those once saved, always saved people or whatever. Who wants to get in? I don't want to get into all that. 
Who knows? I don't want out, so I'm not worried about it. If you want out, you got a problem, let's talk. Right? So you understand what I'm saying? So once you got it, it's like, what do you do with the rest of your life? Well, you just go try and get other people saved. You, you see how that's governed the conversation? So I want to have a different conversation. And I want to talk about spirituality. And I want to talk about the technology of spirituality. Because here's the thing about spirituality. When you understand the spiritual nature of the Bible, you begin to understand the spiritual nature of the gospel. When you begin to understand the spiritual nature of the gospel, you begin to understand the spiritual nature of humanity. When you begin to understand the spiritual nature of humanity, you begin to understand how absolutely incredible you are as a human being. See, I'm confused, and again, I understand it, I understand it, because I understand the theological conversation as to why, especially, Protestant and Evangelical Christians are hung up on condemning humanity as a whole, because they think God's upset with them. And I understand it, I understand where it comes from. I understand the scriptures. I understand the theological thinking. But you cannot get around the fact that, come on, the most popular verse in evangelicalism is, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. (laughs) And the fact that God became a human being, the fact that the psalmist could say in one of the psalms, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Uh, What is it about? When I I consider the cosmos, when I consider the stars and and the works of your fingers and all this stuff, what is man that you care for him? What is man that you're drawn to him? And I want to tell you, you are the most incredible being in the entire, in, in the entire creation. And, and, and that's why God redeemed you. But, but if we stay locked into salvation paradigms, we can't ever understand the incredible potential. If there's any group of people on the planet in the 21st century that needs to be champion, that needs to be a champion for humanity and the value and the worth and the inherent goodness that is in humanity because they've been created in the image of God. It is the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit that should be speaking to humanity from a place of redemption rather than from a place of judgment. And, and when you understand the spirituality of humanity, you can begin to understand the spirituality of creation. And when you begin to understand the spirituality of creation, and you begin to put this all together, you realize that, that, that you have incredible potential to bring about change. That there is no agency on the earth with as much potential to change things as the church that realizes who she is and what she's capable of. And I believe with all my heart that God wants to release revelation that will unlock the absolute, infinite, limitless potential of the new creation in Christ Jesus, of who we are as Christians, that that, that we need to become a people who are not just known for morality, that we need to become a people that are not just known for having uh, answers to the next life. We need to become a people who are living and active and powerful and interactive with creation. So that literally you and I have the ability to change the future. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had fully come, or when the day of Pentecost had fully come and the Holy Spirit came, that's how it goes. And Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He says, he says you're, 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 you, you'll dream dreams. You'll have visions. He says, and your sons and daughters, they'll prophesy. Please understand, for an ancient person, prophecy had to do with the future. 
It did not have to do with telling you your address. Technically, that's a word of knowledge. That's not even prophecy. It did not have to do with just encouraging you because you're such a nice person. That's the gift of exhortation. That's not the gift of prophecy. In an ancient perspective, the gift of prophecy was about the future. So literally what happened in the spirituality of the church in the beginning was that God poured spirituality on humanity to unlock its absolute potential to, to, to create the future with God. So that literally God is handing His Spirit because it's a gift. He's a gift. Actually, it's feminine in the Hebrew if you want to get right down to it. She's a gift. To us, for the purpose of manifesting the future. That the future is more open-ended than we allow ourselves to think about. And that you and I are more involved in the future potentials that happen than what we realize. Are you breathing? So let me give you a verse. And then we're going to talk about the technology of the Spirit. Because you can change things if you learn how to change things. How many of you have something in your life you'd like to change? Alright, just look at your neighbor and say, you can change things if you learn how. And then look at him again and say, it's not what you think. (sighs) Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance. Now some of your Bibles will say assurance, confidence. That's not the word in the Greek. It's actually substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the ancients obtained a good testimony. By faith, now watch this, by faith we understand that the worlds, plural, were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Things which are seen did not come out of things that were visible. Got it? They come out of something invisible. Things invisible. Not being, not just God. Things. So for every visible thing, there is an invisible thing where it finds its origin. And the word for substance is the word that the ancients would use to describe that invisible thing. Alright, so if you literally translate substance in the, in the Greek, it's a word, hupostasis. Just say this with me. Everybody say, hupostasis. Because I'm going to be on this for a while. Literally what it means is foundation or something that stands behind or something that stands beneath or something that stands within. It's a, it was a substance. It was an invisible substance. So faith is The invisible reality behind everything that you hope for and behind everything that is seen. Faith is what you can't see, but it's behind what is seen. So that God literally created the world with faith. By His Word. Got it? So everything is a manifestation of that Word, right? Okay, so let me give you an example on how this works. 
Let's take computers, for example. How many of you have ever used a computer? Of any kind? Okay. How many of you have ever played a video game? How many of you ever watched somebody play a video game? How many of you have ever played a game on your phone? All right, here's the interesting thing. When you're playing a video game, let's just talk about video games. When you're playing a video game, you are operating interactively with images, with motion, with sights, and with sounds. Yes? And you are entering the world of the video game on that level. The level of what you can see and what you can, and you interact with it based on the kind of game that it is. So you cannot, like, I go way back to, like, like arcades. So how many you know what Pac-Man is? How many remember Space Invaders? Alright, so you cannot play Pac-Man like you play Space Invaders because the dimensions of the world of Pac-Man are completely different. In other words, when you're playing Pac-Man, you have to operate by the laws of the people who wrote the Pac-Man program. Yes? You cannot get around it. You can enter into it, but you have to work within the parameters of it. Now, if you could see, if you had eyes to see beyond the images on your screen, what you would see standing behind, what you would see that would be hypostasis to the images that you're seeing would be a computer programming language. So a lot of your smaller games that you have on your phone, those you know simpler ones, are written in a computer language called Java. How many of you have heard, at least heard of Java as a computer language, right? Okay, so you're, you're seeing the image, but behind the image what you can't see is a bunch of symbols, a bunch of letters, a bunch of numbers that you can't see, but that's actually generating and projecting the images. Are you breathing? So if you had eyes to see, instead of seeing images, you would see symbols. If you had eyes to see, instead of hearing sounds, you would see numbers and letters. But if you'd never seen it before, you would have no ability to understand it or to interact with it. It would just look like gobbledygook. Right? So, there's two entrances into the computer game. You can interact with the computer game as a player. Or you can interact with the video game as a hacker. <laughs> as a hacker. If you hack the video game, what do you do? Yeah, okay, yeah, let me ask it this way. Good. So who has more flexibility? The, pro the programmer, the hacker, or the player? Who has a greater ability to cause the greatest level of change? The programmer and the hacker, or the player? Ah. So when you and I live life with no consciousness of the spiritual things, when we live life with no awareness of spiritual realities, when we live life only as human beings rather than as spiritual human beings, we simply are living life as players inside the program, and we are, I mean, players of the program, and we see images and things are just coming at us, and we're trying to interact and we're trying to react because every good video game is based on your reaction time, right? And so for a lot of us, life is just nothing but a reaction. If you play Pac-Man, as long as those ghosts are blue, you can chomp them up. But the moment the blue goes off the ghost, you're dead. So the key to getting good at Pac-Man is learning how to uh, respond. 
and react. And that's how most of us live life. We have no idea what's coming. We have no idea when what, we're, what we think is going to feed us turns on us. Anybody ever been there? Right? Or comes back to haunt us. Anybody's past ever come back to haunt them? Right? Because you're operating at that level. But there is a way to operate at a completely different level, the level of a hacker or the level of a programmer. The problem is when we first start, the worlds are so different. The worlds are so completely different because they function by completely different rules. See, if I'm playing the video game, I'm playing it according to certain rules. If I'm programming the video game, it's a completely different set of rules. So therefore, God says, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. So, so now if we can think about truth as the way things really are, rather than a doctrine you have to believe to get saved, it becomes a totally different reality for the Holy Spirit to come and lead us into all truth. Because the ancient word for truth means to take the cover off. So if I peel back the images of the video game, I can begin to see the language that's behind the images I'm seeing the truth. If I know the language and I know how to work it, I'm seeing the truth of the video game. And that is the life of faith. <laughs> so, so how do we begin doing this? All right, so let me give you some quantum physics. Can I do quantum physics for just shift gears just briefly, all right? Like, because I'm, I'm not smart at this stuff. I'm really not. I'm not. Like, this is not my area, but I can read people who can dumb it down for me. How many of you thank God for the dumber downers? So, the word quantum simply means, it's a word to describe a distinct quantity of electromagnetic radiation. A distinct quantity of electromagnetic radiation. So, we have telescopes, right? What do telescopes do? They magnify things that are without. We also have microscopes. What do microscopes do? They magnify what is within. One looks without, the other penetrates within. Yes? So they build big microscopes and they discover your body has cells. Then they build bigger microscopes and they penetrate the cells and they, what they find molecules. Then they penetrate even deeper with bigger scopes or whatever, or mathematical equations or whatever, and they find atoms. And then they go even deeper and they find strings. Like every, like, so, in other words, they can penetrate very deeply. And so what they, here's what they, here's what they've discovered with microscopes and, like, brilliance. That there is actually a world behind the world that you see. And that everything you see is actually just a manifestation of energy. 
And that at its deepest, most basic level, everything from my Bible to my iPad to the chair that you're sitting on to the shoes that are on your feet to you yourself, everything, everything at its core is a wave or a vibration. Now, if something vibrates, so everything's vibrating. And if something's vibrating, it's actually giving off a sound. Well, doesn't that make sense? If God created everything with a word, (laughs) if in the beginning was a word, and without Him nothing was made that has been made, if the things that we see were made by the command of God, then you got to understand that, that God tweaked the... And here's the amazing thing. Everything's vibrating differently. And so God tweaks the vibration in order to manifest the creation. This is not vibrating at the, frame, at the same frequency as this. So by changing the vibration, you change the manifestation. But here's the amazing thing is they start studying quantum physics. I'd love to just come in and and just share with you some of the experiments about quantum physics because they're mind-blowing because they follow absolutely no rules of, of physics at all. That what you and I are used to is called Newtonian physics. And that's this world. That's like the images on the video game. Quantum physics operates in a way that totally violates Newtonian physics and makes no sense to somebody who's looking at Newtonian physics because quantum physics has actually penetrated to the realm behind or the realm within. What What if the invisible things and even the heavens are not out there? What if they're within? Okay, so you... Yeah, no, let's don't do that. Let's don't do that. Let's don't do that. Let's don't do that. Because I'll lose you for the rest of the day. Um, if I haven't already. Um, all right, so, so you can think about these frequencies as, as uh, the programming that's behind what you see. Yeah, is everybody tracking with me okay on that? All right, so, so David Bohm, who's a brilliant physicist, Nobel Prize winner... He said there exists, based on quantum physics, he says there exists deeper or higher planes of creation that determine what happens in our world. Sounds like Hebrews 11. If we could view our world as it is, we would see that objects in our world appear as a projection of things happening in another realm that we cannot observe. You could say the same thing about a computer. Game. The game that you're interacting with is a projection of the symbols and the letters and the numbers that you can't see that's generating it. And who has more power? The person playing the game or the person hacking the game? And so one of the things we know is that in order to hack the universe... You have to do it with vibration. So let's talk about vibrations for a little bit, all right? So everything vibrates. You understand that it's not vibration if it's not repetitive, right? Right? So they talk about the frequency at which something vibrates, the frequency at which it goes. That's one frequency. That's a different frequency, right? So everything's vibrating at a frequency, And everything is giving off a wave. Now, here's the interesting thing about waves. They can 
mesh together and form an agreement. And when two waves form an agreement, we would call that resonance. But two vibrations that are happening, that are two contrary to each other, can cancel each other out. And we would call that dissonance. Got it? So in the quantum world, in reality, in creation, like attracts like. So, for example, if I were to get on the keyboard, if I was to have Tammy or Chris get up on the keyboard, and I said, play me a middle C, they would play a note, and then I'd say, take it up an octave, and if I said, take it up an octave, all of you musicians know what I mean, right? They go up the keyboard to a higher C, right? Now, here's the thing. They're not vibrating at the same frequency or they'd be making the exact same sound. Got it? So it's vibrating at a different frequency, but because they're both C's, they form a harmony and they resonate. They merge. Yes? How many of you have noise-canceling headphones? Okay, how many of you have a quieter engine in your car than you did 20 years ago? Hit both generations there, right? You know how they quiet your engine? By emitting a frequency that you cannot hear that creates dissonance with the sound of the engine so that the two frequencies cancel each other out and the engine becomes quieter. They, they, they actually cancel it out not by decreasing the sound, but by generating more sound, just generating it at a different frequency. That's how your noise-canceling headphones work. That's why if they're battery-powered, you have to turn them on. I'm like, when I first got a set, I'm like, why do I have to turn these on? This makes no sense. And I didn't realize it's actually noisier. They're actually noisier headphones. They're just not a sound I can hear that is at a specific frequency that cancels out all the background noise. Isn't that amazing? Because they're using the law of dissonance. They're getting less by doing more. <laughs> Make sense? So everything works this way. Like attracts like. So, for example... Why is it that God is so attracted to humanity? Why We're told that the angels, there was an angelic rebellion, the angels fell, but the angels are not redeemed. There's no redemption for the angels. God did not become an angel so that he could save the angels. He became a human being. Why did he become a human being? Because he was attracted to humanity. And what was it that was causing the attraction? Oh. Because in the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Because he knew they might mess it up. So he used an eternal law of creation and he embedded likeness inside of, crea- inside of humanity. So that no matter how far humanity fell, God would always be attracted to us. Because like attracts like. So please don't ever forget that. Whoever messes up, however bad they mess up, however messed up they are, please remember that there is something still inside the worst human being that ever lived that attracts God because God embedded it into us in the beginning. Why did God become a man? Why did God become a human being? Why did Jesus, why did salvation involve, it wasn't just about the cross. It wasn't just about the resurrection. It was about, Christmas is every bit as important as Easter. 
It was about God becoming a humanity, becoming humanity and going through an entire human life so that he could become like us in our fallen state. Because in our fallen state, we had so marred the likeness of God that we were no longer attracted to him. So God comes in our fallen state to create a resonance. To create a resonance that would begin to attract us to him because it's a law of the universe that like begets like. That's why becoming Christ-like is not just about being a good person. It's about releasing the fullness of the divine potential that God inserted inside humanity when he said, let us make him in our image and after our likeness. <laughs> see, if you, if, you, if you see Christ-likeness through a salvation paradigm, it's all about how much good do you have to do and how much bad can you do? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because everything becomes evaluated through this legal, juridical paradigm because we took a few verses out of Romans and made them the foundation of the Bible and thought this is central to everything. So now we see everything through a good, bad lens. But Christ-likeness is not about just being a good person. Because frankly, Gandhi was better than most Christians. And he was a Hindu. And he was more Christ-like from an ethical standpoint than evangelicals who are fighting each other over politics in America. It's not about ethics. It's about the divine potential inside humanity. So when you hear Christ-likeness from a spirituality paradigm, it changes everything. And let me give you this. So one scientific journal said this. You ready for this? One human being, this is why you're so incredible. You are absolutely incredible. I don't care how messed up you are. <laughs> I don't care how messed up you think you are. I don't care how messed up you think your life is. You are absolutely magnificent. Because science tells us that one human being has the potential to admit up to 500 billion different frequencies. 500 billion. A dog has one frequency. A dog can change the octave. I bark. I'm going to text my friends and say, I barked like a dog in church today. I'm just going to do that. All my pastor friends. I'm sending out a mass text as soon as we're done, just to see what kind of reaction I get. I'm going to, I'm going to drive traffic to the website. You have an entire language. You have an entire arsenal of sound at your disposal. Why do you think that on the day of Pentecost, when they received the fullness of the Spirit, what did they do? They spoke in other tongues. Why? 
God gave them new frequencies that they could use to tune creation to the move of God. Are, are you with me? Are you with me? It wasn't just about getting people saved. Because they all had a common language. You knew that, right? Koine Greek was the common language of the day. They didn't have to speak in their dialect. Yeah, all right. I'll leave that alone. Okay. So think about it. You can admit, emit 500 billion frequencies. So here becomes the question. How many things can you resonate with? Because if like attracts like, whatever's coming out of you is going to attract something into your life. Or whatever's coming out of you is going to cancel something that's trying to come into your life. Sound is very important. Why do you think we do praise and worship? It's not to make you feel good. And it's certainly not because God is this egotistical guy in the sky that just says, Yeah, tell me again how good I am. Come on. (laughs) I mean, really? That's why God created you? So he could just have a creation around the throne tell me, oh, aren't you wonderful? Really? No, it's all about resonance. It's all about resonance. Really, your worship, your worship isn't even, hey, can I say this? Your worship isn't so much about going to God as it is because you're in Him. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bring forth much fruit. Right? You're in Him. Right? So it's not about so much a vibration going from you into God as it is much about a vibration about who God is coming out of you into creation to change the structure of creation to release it into the fullness of the freedom and the glory of the children of God. When you begin to worship and when you begin to praise and when you begin to release that sound, what you're doing is you're canceling out everything that's not like it. Which is why the Bible says that praise does what? Stills the avenger. Because there is no vengeance in God. Because you're creating a dissonance. What do you do when you pray? You make a sound. Your sound is infinitely important. And we were taught to be quiet in church. And some of you still struggle with that. Because you don't realize that your sound is tuning the atmosphere. Your sound is releasing something that is interacting with creation at the level of the programming. Your sound is tweaking things and changing things so that you can begin to attract things into your life so that, so that the things of God and the power of God and the potential of God can begin to show up in your life because He's found a sound that He begins to resonate with. But that resonance, and this is where I'll leave you, 
that resonance has to come from your heart and not from your head. One of the other worst things that we were ever taught was to shut off your feelings. I'm not moved by what I feel. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. What church is? Okay, but I mean, like, you guys were in church before you came here, right? Because you're looking at me like you never heard this stuff before, right? Okay, some of you weren't, so you have no clue what I'm talking about. But, but how many how many were part of that, you know, like, like, I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm only moved by what I believe. Can I get a witness? All right. Or, or use your mind to control your emotions. If you change the way you think, you change the way you feel. That, that never works. Because feeling is a stronger resonance than thinking. How many thoughts do you have to think to think your way out of depression? And so faith only works from the heart. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. If you speak to the mountain and do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. And your mind thinks, but your heart feels. And they can literally, I'm really getting scientific on you today, but they can literally measure the vibration that comes out of your heart. And it actually forms a geometric space around you. All of that vibration coming from your heart. And if everything is operating at the level of vibration, then whatever is coming out of your heart every minute of the day is tweaking your environment to give you what's in your heart. But we've been taught as believers to close our hearts off. The church hasn't taught us how to feel. So if you're going to be a good hacker... If you want to know the Java of creation, if you want to know the language of creation, can I tell you, the being who spoke the language of creation, John the Apostle said, is love. Not has love, but is love. And so the only way to tune creation, to hack creation, is by the power of love. That's operating by faith. So therefore, Jesus replaces the law of do's and don'ts with the law of love because really what he came to do was give you access to your heart. Because the 500 billion frequencies that you have the potential to create are locked up inside your feelings. And when you get born again, and when you get baptized in the Spirit, God turns up the energy. (laughs) That's why when you feel the Holy Spirit, sometimes you feel Him like a vibration. 
So you have to discover. The, fir- the first key actually is to not to go without. <laughs> if you want to see the language behind your circumstances, you have to be able to penetrate within it to a deeper level of what's behind it. But that starts by penetrating the deeper levels of yourself and what's inside of you. And so you have to give your per- yourself permission to go after the things and the people and the situations that you love. A few months ago, I was talking about the scroll of your destiny, how you come born with it. The Bible tells, speaks of a scroll that God wrote before the foundation of the world for every single human being. And when you were formed in your mother's womb, God put that scroll inside you. And he formed a, a soul and a body around that scroll. Literally, you, you are the scroll. Your, your soul is the scroll. Your heart is the scroll. And you've been vibrating since the moment you came out of the womb. Which is why they used to spank you when you were a baby. Because if you didn't make a sound, you couldn't live. Because you came out of the womb resonating with feeling. Nobody had to teach you. They had to teach you how to talk. They had to teach you how to think. They had to teach you how to do math. They had to teach you how to walk. They had to teach you how to go to the bathroom. But nobody had to teach you how to feel. Because it's the essence of humanity to feel. So you cannot read your scroll without discovering what you love. Whatever you love is your scroll talking to you, waiting for manifestation. And so really, really, Jesus sets you free to be you, but not just you, the best you, the original you, the authentic you. And nothing, hear me, nothing steals the authentic you like religion. What are you resonating with? See, a lot of your spiritual journey, and I'm done. A lot of your spiritual journey, I did great today. I know some of you are sad because you like to hear me talk. I haven't figured that one out yet. But What are you resonating with? Because your entire spiritual journey from here on out is going to consist of sorting through the resonances, the, the, the frequencies, the vibrations in your life and changing them to a more authentic you that lives out of the heart. In other words, when God starts to open up your being, everything goes crazy inside you. Anybody found, anybody ever start engaging God? Like, oh, we want the presence of God. Oh, we want, and God, and God, He, he tricks us. He's a little bit of a trickster, God. He really is. If he'd have told me I'd been doing this when I said yes, 
I'd be doing something else. He doesn't tell us. Right? So he, he kind of tricks us. He, he kind of like comes and lets us experience a bit of his goodness, you know? And it's like, wow, man, there's just ecstasy. There's just euphoria. Oh, man, this is glory. Oh, man, I found what I've been looking for all my life. Am I talking to the right group? And then all of a sudden your being goes crazy. Every hurt, every wound, every hate, every lust, every... Okay, I'm talking to that group out there because I know all y'all have got it sorted out. And we have to give people permission to process. And we have to give them room to process. And we have to understand, you know, sometimes God's just working on your frequency. Because he's, he's releasing 500 billion frequencies worth of potential for good and evil inside you when you engage this thing. <laughs> there might be five of you that come back next week, but, but we want to talk about the technology of the Spirit and how we can sort through that stuff so that we begin to vibrate, if you will, at a frequency that brings every good and perfect gift into our life and cancels out every work of the evil one in our life.